Chapter thirty one of the Memoirs of Jacques Casanova, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roseanne Schmidt. The Memoirs of Jacques Casanova, Volume two, Paris in Prison, by Giacomo Casanova. Translated by Octo Machin. Episode ten. Under the Leads. Chapter thirty one. I find a lodging in the house of the chief of the Zabiri. I pass a good night there and recover my strength. I go to mass. A disagreeable meeting I am obliged to take six sequins by force. Out of danger. Arrived at Munich. Balbi, I set out for Paris. My arrival. Attempt on the life of Louis the fifteenth. As soon as I saw Father Balbi, far enough off I got up and seeing at a little distance a shepherd keeping his flock on the hillside i made my way towards him to obtain such information as i needed what is the name of this village my friend said i balde piedene senor he answered to my surprise for i found i was much farther on my way than i thought i next asked him the owners of five or six houses which i saw scattered around and the persons he mentioned chanced to be all known to me but were not the kind of men i should have cared to trouble with my presence on my asking him the name of the palace before me he said it belonged to the grimanis the chief of whom was a state inquisitor and then resident at the palace so i had to take care not to let him see me finally at my inquiring the owner of a red house in the distance he told me much to my surprise that it belonged to the chief of the zabiri bidding farewell to the kindly shepherd i began to go down the hill mechanically and am still puzzled to know what instinct directed my steps towards that house which common sense and fear also should have made me shun i steered my course for it in a straight line and i can say with truth that i did so quite unwittingly if it be true that we have all of us an invisible intelligence a beneficent genius who guides our steps aright as was the case with socrates to that alone i should attribute the irresistible attraction which drew me towards the house where i had most to dread however that may be it was the boldest stroke i have played in my whole life I entered with an easy and unconstrained air, and asked a child who was playing at top in the courtyard where his father was. Instead of replying, the child went to call his mother, and directly afterwards appeared a pretty woman in the family way, who politely asked me my business with her husband, apologizing for his absence. I am sorry, I said, to hear that my gossip is not in, though at the same time I am delighted to make the acquaintance of his charming wife your gossip you will be mr vetturi then my husband told me that you had kindly promised to be the godfather of our next child i am delighted to know you but my husband will be very vexed to have been away i hope he will return as i wanted to ask him for a night's lodging i dare not go anywhere in the state you see me you shall have the best bed in the house and i will get you a good supper my husband when he comes back will thank your excellence for doing us so much honour he went away with all his people an hour ago and i don't expect him back for three or four days why is he away for such a long time my dear madame you have not heard then that two prisoners have escaped from the leads one is a noble and the other a private individual called casanova my husband has received a letter from messer grand ordering him to make a search for them if he find them he will take them back to venice and if not he will return here but he will be on the lookout for three days at least i am sorry for this accident my dear madame but i should not like to put you out and indeed i should be glad to lie down immediately you shall do so and my mother shall attend to your wants but what is the matter with your knees i fell down whilst hunting on the mountains and gave myself some severe wounds and am much weakened by loss of blood 
oh my poor gentleman my poor gentleman but my mother will cure you she called her mother and having told her of my necessities she went out this pretty sabirus had not the wit of her profession for the story i had told her sounded like a fairy tale on horseback with white silk stockings hunting in sarcenay without cloak and without a man her husband would make fine game of her when he came back but god bless her for her kind heart and benevolent stupidity her mother tended me with all the politeness i should have met with in the best families the worthy woman treated me like a mother and called me son as she attended my wounds the name sounded pleasantly in my ears and did no little towards my cure by the sentiments it woke in my breast if i had been less taken up with the position i was in i should have repaid her care with some evident marks of the gratitude i felt but the place i was in and the part i was playing made the situation too serious a one for me to think of anything else this kindly woman after looking at my knees and my thighs told me that i must make my mind to suffer a little pain but i might be sure of being cured by morning all i had to do was bear the application of medicated linen to my wounds and not to stir till the next day i promised to bear the pain patiently and to do exactly as she told me i was given an excellent supper and i ate and drank with good appetite i then gave myself up to treatment and fell asleep whilst my nurse was attending to me i suppose she undressed me as she would a child but i remembered nothing about it when i woke up i was in fact totally unconscious though i had made a good supper i had only done so to satisfy my craving for food and to regain my strength and sleep came to me with an irresistible force as my physical exhaustion did not leave me the power of arguing myself out of it i took my supper at six o'clock in the evening and i heard six strikings as i awoke i seemed to have been enchanted rousing myself up and gathering my wits together i first took off the linen bandages and was astonished to find my wounds healed and quite free from pain i did my hair dressed myself in less than five minutes and finding the door of my room open i went downstairs crossed the court and left the house behind me without appearing to notice two individuals who were standing outside and must have been sabiri i made haste to lengthen the distance between me and the place where i found the kindliest hospitality the utmost politeness the most tender care and best of all new health and strength and as i walked i could not help feeling terrified at the danger i had been in i shuddered involuntarily and at the present moment after so many years i still shudder when i think of the peril to which i had so heedlessly exposed myself i wondered how i managed to go in and still more how i came out it seemed absurd that i should not be followed for five hours i tramped on keeping to the woods and mountains not meeting a soul besides a few country folk and turning neither to the right nor left it was not yet noon when as i went along my way i stopped short at the sound of a bell i was on high ground and looking in the direction from which the sound came i saw a little church in the valley and many people going towards it to hear mass my heart desired to express thankfulness for the protection of providence and though all nature was a temple worthy of its creator custom drew me to the church when men are in trouble every passing thought seems an inspiration it was all saints day i went down the hill and came into the church and saw to my astonishment mr mark antoine grimani the nephew of the state inquisitor with madame marie bizani his wife i made my bow which was returned and after i had heard mass i left the church mr grimani followed me by himself and when he had got near me called me by name saying what are you doing here casanova and what has become of your friend i have given him what little money i had for him to escape by another road whilst i without a penny in my pocket am endeavouring to reach a place of safety by this way if your excellence would kindly give me some help it would speed my journey for me 
I can't give you anything, but you will find recluses on your way who won't let you die of hunger. But tell me how you contrived to pierce the roof of the leads. The story is an interesting one, but it would take up too much time, and in the meantime the recluses might eat up the food which is to keep me from dying of hunger. With this sarcasm I made him a profound bow, and went upon my way. In spite of my great want, his refusal pleased me, and it made me think myself a greater gentleman than the excellence who had referred me to the charity of recluses. I heard at Paris afterwards that when his wife heard of it, she reproached him for his hard-hearted behavior. There can be no doubt that kindly and generous feelings are more often to be found in the hearts of women than of men. I continued my journey till sunset. Weary and faint with hunger, I stopped at a good-looking house, which stood by itself. I asked to speak with the master, and the porter told me that he was not in, and he had gone to a wedding on the other side of the river, and would be away for two days, but that he had bidden him to welcome all his friends while he was away. Providence, luck, chance, whichever you like. I went in, and was treated to a good supper and a good bed. I found by the addresses of some letters which were laying about that I was being entertained in the house of Mr. Rombenchi, a council, of which nation I know not. I wrote a letter to him and sealed it to await his return. After making an excellent supper and having had a good sleep, I rose, and dressing myself carefully, set out again without being able to leave the porter any remark of my gratitude, and shortly afterwards crossed the river, promising to pay when I came back. After walking for five hours, I dined in a monastery of Capuchins, who are very useful to people in my position. I then set out again, feeling fresh and strong, and walked along at a good pace till three o'clock. I halted at a house which I found from a countryman belonged to a friend of mine. I walked in, asked if the master was at home, and was shewn to a room where he was writing by himself. I stepped forward to greet him, but as soon as he saw me, he seemed horrified, and bid me be gone forthwith giving me idle and insulting reasons for his behavior. I explained to him how I was situated, and asked him to let me have sixty sequins on my note of hand, drawn on Mr. de Bragadine. He replied that he could not so much as give me a glass of water, since he dreaded the wrath of the tribunal for my very presence in his house. He was a stockbroker, about sixty years old, and was under great obligations to me. His inhumane refusal produced quite a different effect on me than that of Mr. Romani. Whether from rage, indignation, or nature, I took him by the collar. I shewed him my pike, and raising my voice, threatened to kill him. Trembling all over, he took a key from his pocket, and showing me a bureau, told me he kept money there, and I had only to open it and take what I wanted. I told him to open it himself. He did so, and on his opening the drawer, containing gold i told him to count me out six sequins you asked me for sixty yes that was when i was asking a loan of you as a friend but since i owe the money to force i require six only and i will give you no note of hand you shall be repaid at venice where i shall write of the pass to which you forced me you cowardly wretch i beg your pardon take the sixty sequins i entreat you no no more i am going on my way and i advise you not to hinder me lest in my despair i come back and burn your house about your ears i went out and walked for two hours until the approach of night and weariness made me stop short at the house of a farmer where i had a bad supper and a bit of straw in the morning i bought an old overcoat and hired an ass to journey on and near feltre i bought a pair of boots in this guise i passed the hut called the scala there was a guard there who much to my delight as the reader will guess did not even honour me by asking my name i then took a two-horse carriage and got to borgo de valsugano in good time and found father balbi at the inn i had told him of if he had not greeted me first i should not have known him a great overcoat, 
a low hat over a thick cotton cap disguising him to admiration he told me that a farmer had given him these articles in exchange for my cloak and he had arrived without difficulty and was faring well he was kind enough to tell me that he did not expect to see me as he did not believe my promise to rejoin him was made in good faith possibly i should have been wise not to undeceive him on this account i passed the following day in the inn where without getting out of my bed i wrote more than twenty letters to venice in many of which i explained what i had been obliged to do to get the six sequins the monk wrote impudent letters to his superior father barbarigo and to his brother nobles and love letters to the servant girls who had been his ruin i took the lace off my dress and sold my hat and thus got rid of a gay appearance unsuitable to my position as it made me too much an object of notice the next day i went to Bergina, and lay there and i was visited by the young count d'alberg who had discovered in some way or another that we had escaped from the state prisons of venice from Pergina i went to trent and from there to bolzen where needing money for my dress linen and the continuation of my journey i introduced myself to an old banker named mensch who gave me a man to send to venice with a letter to mr de bragadine in the meantime the old banker put me in a good inn where i spent the six days the messenger was away in bed he brought me the sum of a hundred sequins and my first care was to clothe my companion and afterwards myself every day i found the society of the wretched balbi more intolerable without me you would never have escaped was continually in his mouth and he kept reminding me that i had promised him half of whatever money i got he made love to all the serving girls and as he had neither the figure nor the manners to please them his attentions were returned with good hearty slaps which he bore patiently but was as outrageous as ever in the course of twenty-four hours i was amused but at the same time vexed to be coupled to a man of so low a nature we travelled post and in three days we got to munich where i went to lodge at the sign of the stag there i found two young venetians of the cantarini family who had been there some time in company with count pompey of veronese but not knowing them and having no longer any need of depending on recluses for my daily bread i did not care to pay my respects to them it was otherwise with countess coronini whom i knew at st justine's convent at venice and who stood very well with the bavarian court this illustrious lady then seventy years old gave me a good reception and promised to speak on my behalf to the elector with a view of his granting me an asylum in his country the next day having fulfilled her promise she told me that his highness had nothing to say against me but as for balbi there was no safety for him in Bavaria, for as a fugitive monk he might be claimed by the monks at munich and his highness had no wish to meddle with the monks the countess advised me therefore to get him out of the town as soon as possible for him to fly to some other quarter and thus to avoid the bad turn which his beloved brethren the monks were certain to do to him feeling in duty bound to look after the interests of the wretched fellow i went to the elector's confessor to ask him to give balbi letters of introduction to some town in swabia the confessor a jesuit did not give the lie to the fine reputation of his brethren of the order his reception of me was as discourteous as it well could be he told me in a careless way that at munich i was well known i asked him without flinching if i was to take this as a piece of good or bad news but he made no answer and left me standing another priest told me that he had gone out to verify the truth of a miracle of which the whole town was talking 
"'What miracle is that, Reverend Father?' I asked. "'The Empress, the widow of Charles the Seventh, whose body is still exposed to the public gaze, has warm feet, although she is dead. Perhaps something keeps them warm? You can assure yourself personally of the truth of this wonderful circumstance. To neglect such an opportunity would have been to lose the chance of mirth or edification, and I was as desirous of the one as of the other, wishing to be able to boast that I had seen a miracle, and one, moreover, of a peculiar interest for myself, who have always had the misfortune to suffer from cold feet, I went to see the mighty dead. It was quite true that her feet were warm, but the matter was capable of a simple explanation, as the feet of her defunct majesty were turned towards a burning lamp at a little distance off. A dancer of my acquaintance, whom curiosity had brought there with the rest, came up to me, complimented me upon my fortunate escape, and told me everybody was talking about it his news pleased me as it is always a good thing to interest the public the son of terpiscor asked me to dinner and i was glad to accept his invitation his name was michael legata and his wife was the pretty gandela whom i had known sixteen years ago at the old malapiros the gandela was enchanted to see me and to hear from my own lips the story of my wondrous escape she interests herself on behalf of the monk and offered me to give him a letter of introduction for augustberg canon bessy of bologna who was dean of st maurice's chapter and a friend of hers i took advantage of the offer and she forthwith wrote me the letter telling me that i need not trouble myself any more about the monk as she was sure that the dean would take care of him and even make it all right at venice delighted at getting rid of him in so honourable a manner i ran to the inn told him what i had done gave him the letter and promised not to abandon him in the case of the dean's not giving him a warm welcome i got him a good carriage and started him off the next day at daybreak four days after balby wrote that the dean had received him with great kindness that he had given him a room in the deanery and he had dressed him as an ab that he had introduced him to the prince bishop of armstadt and that he had received assurances of his safety from the civil magistrates furthermore the dean had promised to keep him till he obtained his secularization from rome and with it freedom to return to venice for as soon as he ceased to be a monk the tribunal would have no lien upon him father balbi finished by asking me to send him a few sequins for pocket-money as he was too much of a gentleman to ask the dean who quoteth the ungrateful fellow is not gentleman enough to offer to give me anything I gave him no answer. As I was now alone in peace and quietness, I thought seriously of regaining my health, for my sufferings had given me nervous spasms which might become dangerous. I put myself on a diet, and in three weeks I was perfectly well. In the meanwhile, Madame Riviere came from Dresden with her son and two daughters. She was going to Paris to marry the elder. The son had been diligent, and would have passed for a young man of culture. The elder daughter, who was going to marry an actor, was extremely beautiful, an accomplished dancer, and played on the clavichord like a professional, and was altogether most charming and graceful. This pleasant family was delighted to see me again, and I thought myself fortunate when Madame Riviere, anticipating my wishes, intimated to me that my company as far as Paris would give them great pleasure. I had nothing to say respecting the expenses of the journey. I had to accept their offer in its entirety. My design was to settle in Paris, and I took this stroke of fortune as an omen of success in the only town where the blind goddess freely dispenses her favors to those who leave themselves to be guided by her, and know how to take advantage of her gifts. 
and as the reader will see by and by i was not mistaken but all the gifts of fortune were of no avail since i abused them all by my folly fifteen months under the leads should have made me aware of my weak points but in point of fact i needed a little longer stay to learn how to cure myself of my failings madame riviere wished to take me with her but she could not put off her departure and i required a week's delay to get money and letters from venice she promised to wait a week in strasbourg and we agreed that if possible i would join her there she left munich on the eighteenth of december two days afterwards i got from venice the bill of exchange for which i was waiting i made haste to pay my debts and immediately afterwards i started for augsburg not so much for the sake of seeing father balbi as because i wanted to make the acquaintance of the kindly dean who had rid me of him i reached augsburg in seven hours after leaving munich and i went immediately to the house of the good ecclesiastic he was not in but i found balbi in an abs dress with his hair covered with white powder which set off in a new but not a pleasing manner the beauties of his complexion of about the same color as a horse chestnut balbi was under forty but he was decidedly ugly having one of those faces in which bassiness cowardice impudence and malice are plainly expressed joining to this advantage a tone of voice and manners admirably calculated to repulse any one inclined to do him a service i found him comfortably housed well looked after and well clad he had books and all requisites for writing i complimented him upon his situation calling him a fortunate fellow applying the same epithet to myself for having gained him all the advantages he enjoyed and the hope of one day becoming a secular priest but the ungrateful hound instead of thanking me reproached me for having craftily rid myself of him and added that as i was going to paris i might as well take him with me as the dullness of augsburg was almost killing him what do you want at paris what do you want yourself to put my talents to account so do i well then you don't require me you can fly on your own wings the people who are taking me to paris would probably not care for me if i had you for a companion you promise not to abandon me can a man who leaves another well provided for and an assured future be said to abandon him well provided i have not got a penny what do you want with money you have a good table a good lodging clothes linen attendance and so forth and if you want pocket money why don't you ask your brethren the monks ask monks for money they take it but they don't give it ask your friends then i have no friends you are to be pitied but the reason probably is that you have never been a friend to any one you ought to say masses that is a good way of getting money i am unknown you must wait then till you are known and then you can make up for lost time your suggestions are idle you will surely give me a few sequins i can't spare any wait for the dean he will be back to-morrow you can talk to him and persuade him to lend me some money you can tell him that i will pay it back i cannot wait for i am setting out on my journey directly and were he here this moment i should not have the face to tell him to lend you money after all his generous treatment of you and when he or any one can see that you have all you need after this sharp dialogue i left him and travelling post i set out displeased with myself for having given such advantages to a man wholly unworthy of them in the march following i had a letter from the good dean bassi in which he told me how balbi had run away taking with him one of his servant-girls a sum of money a gold watch and a dozen silver spoons and forks he did not know where he was gone towards the end of the same year i learned at paris that the wretched man had taken refuge at Cori, the capital of the grisons where he asked to be made a member of the calvinistic church 
and to be recognized as lawful husband of the woman with him but in a short time the community discovered that the new convert was no good and expelled him from the bosom of the church of calvin our ne'er-do-well having no more money his wife left him and he not knowing what to do next took the desperate step of going to brassa a town within the venetian territory where he sought the government and telling him his name the story of his flight and his repentance begging the governor to take him under his protection and to obtain his pardon the first effect of the podesta's protection was that the penitent was imprisoned and he then wrote to the tribunal to know what to do with him the tribunal told him to send father balbi to chains in venice and on his arrival messer grand gave him over to the tribunal which put him once more under the leads he did not find count asquin there as the tribunal out of consideration for his great age had moved him to the force a couple of months after our escape five or six years later i heard that the tribunal after keeping the unlucky monk for two years under the leads had sent him to his convent there his superior fearing lest his flock should take contagion from this scabby sheep sent him to their original monastery near feltry a lonely building on the height however balby did not stop there six months having got the key of the fields he went to rome and threw himself at the feet of pope rezonchio who absolved him of his sins and released him from his monastic vows balby now a secular priest returned to venice where he lived a desolate and wretched life in seventeen eighty three he died the death of diogenes minus the wit of the cynic at strasbourg i rejoined madame riviere and her delightful family from whom i received a sincere and hearty welcome we were staying at the hotel de l'esprit and as we passed a few days there most pleasurably afterwards setting out in an excellent travelling carriage for, for paris the only paris the universal during the journey i thought myself bound to the expense of making it a pleasant one as i had not to put my hand in my pocket for other expenses the charms of mademoiselle riviere enchanted me but i should have esteemed myself wanting in gratitude and respect for this worthy family if i had darted at her a single amorous glance or if i had let her suspect my feelings for her by a single word in fact i thought myself obliged to play the heavy father though my age did not fit me for the part i lavished on this agreeable family all the care which can be given in return for pleasant society a seat in a comfortable travelling carriage an excellent table and a good bed we reached paris on the fifth of january seventeen fifty seven and i went to the house of my friend Bellati, who received me with open arms and assured me that though i had not written he had been expecting me since he judged that i would strive to put the greatest possible distance between myself and venice and he could think of no other retreat for me than paris the whole house kept holiday when my arrival became known and i had never met with more sincere regard than in that delightful family i greeted with enthusiasm the father and mother whom i found exactly the same as when i had seen them last in seventeen fifty two but as i was struck with astonishment at the daughter whom i had left a child for she was now a tall and well-shaped girl mademoiselle balati was fifteen years old and her mother had brought her up with care had given her the best masters virtue grace talents a good manner tact a knowledge of society in short all that a clever mother can give to her dear daughter after finding a pleasant lodging near the balatis i took a coach and went to the hotel de bourbon with the intent of calling on mr de bernice who was then chief secretary for foreign affairs 
I had good reasons for relying on his assistance. He was out. He had gone to Versailles. At Paris, one must go sharply to work, and, as it is vulgarly but fearsomely said, strike while the iron's hot. As I was impatient to see what kind of a reception I should get from the liberal-minded lover of my fair M. M., I went to the Pont Royal, took a hackney coach, and went to Versailles. Again, bad luck. Our coaches crossed each other on the way, and my humble equipage had not caught His Excellency's eyes. Mr. de Bernice had returned to Paris with County Castiana, the ambassador for Naples, and I was determined to return also. But when I got to the gate, I saw a mob of people running here and there in the greatest confusion, and from all sides I heard the cry, The King is assassinated! The King is assassinated! My frightened coachman only thought of getting on his way, but the coach was stopped. I was made to get out and taken to the guard-room, where there were several people already, and in less than three minutes there were twenty of us, all under arrest, all astonished at the situation, and all as much guilty as I was. We were glum and silent, looking at each other without daring to speak. I knew not what to think, and not believing in enchantment, I began to think I must be dreaming. Every face expressed surprise, as every one, though innocent, was more or less afraid. We were not left in this disagreeable position for long, as in five minutes an officer came in, and after some polite apologies told us we were free. The king is wounded, he said, and he has been taken to his room. The assassin, whom nobody knows, is under arrest. Mr. de la Martinere is being looked for everywhere. As soon as I got back to my coach, and was thinking myself lucky for being there, a gentlemanly-looking man came up to me and besought me for giving him a seat in my coach and he would gladly pay half the fare but in spite of the laws of politeness i refused his request i may possibly have been wrong on any other occasion i should have been most happy to give him a place but there are times when prudence does not allow one to be polite i was about three hours on the way and in this short time i was overtaken every minute by at least two hundred couriers riding at a breakneck pace every minute brought a new courier and every courier shouted his news to the winds the first told me what i already knew then I heard that the king had been bled, that the wound was not mortal, and finally that the wound was trifling, and that his majesty could go to the Trianon if he liked. Fortified with this good news, I went to Sylvia's, and found the family at the table. I told them I had just come from Versailles. The king has been assassinated. Not at all. He is able to go to the Trianon, or the Pauk aux Curfs, if he likes. Mr. de la Martiniere has bled him, and found him to be in no danger. The assassin has been arrested, and the wretched man will be burnt, drawn with red-hot pincers, and quartered. This news was soon spread abroad by Sylvia's servants, and a crowd of the neighbors came to hear what I had to say, and I had to repeat the same thing ten times over. At this period the Parisians fancied that they loved the king. They certainly acted the part of loyal subjects to admiration. At the present day they are more enlightened. They would only love the sovereign whose sole desire is the happiness of his people, and such a king, the first citizens of a great nation, not Paris and its suburbs, but all France, will be eager to love and obey. As for kings like Louis the Fifteenth, they have become totally impracticable. But if there are any such, however much they may be supported by interested parties, in the eyes of public opinion they will be dishonored and disgraced before their bodies are in a grave and their names are written in a book of history. End of chapter 31. Recording by Roseanne Schmidt.